You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18 uh, this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, uh, provided for you in your bulletin is an insert with a copy of the Scriptures. And I would encourage you to take those out and search the Scriptures with us and make sure uh, that I am preaching God's Word to you. Also, uh, if you're watching online, if you haven't already uh, went to our, our online bulletin, you can actually go there, and on the way, uh, all the way at the end, you can find a link uh, for uh, the Bible app, or you can go to your app store on your phone, uh, search for the version Bible app, that's Y-O-U version. Uh, after you download it, go to the More Tab, Tap Events Find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, click on today's service uh, and the sermon title, and the notes, quotes, and references will be uh, put there on your phone. So I want to encourage you, uh, again, to follow along with this. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Angry at God. Angry at God. At God, Sir Walter Raleigh was continuously submitting requests to Queen Elizabeth on behalf of convicts. Once the queen said to him, Sir Walter, when will you stop being a beggar? His wise answer was, when your majesty ceases to be a giver. Where would any of us be? without the loving favor of God. Because of our sinful, misleading, deceptive desires within, which we talked about last week, it is helpful to know that God is dependable and that He gives us good things. The Apostle James here is writing to Christians who are struggling They're facing many trials and temptations. Some are facing challenges and they're tossed to and fro with doubt and eventually destroyed by sin. And there are other Christians who are asking God for wisdom to endure trials and they're persevering and becoming stronger in faith. And I think it's quite possible because I've I've talked to you about this before. No one quite knows for sure the context in which the Apostle James is linking his thoughts together. A lot of times it's kind of the last word he says causes him to think of another word uh, so that you lack nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, uh, some of them think they're sound devices. If you see it in the Greek, there's a lot of alliteration. But I think this time, this really does spill over into a logical connection. Last week we explored this concept that 
all of the evil temptations that we experience, we are responsible for. God is not responsible for it. And the question then arises is, so what is God contributing to our life? (laughs) It's a simple question, but profound. Is it possible that some of the Christians who are undergoing these trials and temptations began to question the goodness of God in the midst of their broken world? And I think it's possible. So the question that lies before us is this. If God doesn't send temptation, then what does he give people? If he's not responsible for evil, for brokenness, for sin, what is he doing? Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And notice, James always starts with the command that's a conclusion to his argument. He starts off from the beginning. He says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change, Like shifting shadows, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Rather than sending tests or temptations to break people, God is sending good gifts to you. James further affirms that that each of these gifts is, just notice this if you underline your text, is coming down. It's, It's very specific in the Greek. It is a present tense participle. And so it's a continuous or repeated action indicating how God consistently lavishes his gifts on us. As I was watching the snow fall last night, That's exactly the kind of idea is that it's just this continual flow of the goodness of God that rains down all over you. It's happening all the time. And so I want you to write this down. Number one, here's what you have to bank into your soul and then we're going to explore this theologically is God is good all the time. God is good all the time. Now, I want to do an experiment, and if you don't mind, uh, do this privately first, and if it happens to be something you can share, great. But just think for a moment and write down just one good thing God has done for you. Just one. Just one. What is the one thing in your life, and it doesn't have to be, can can I just submit to you with generous respect, it doesn't have to be some super spiritual thing. Just Think to yourself one good thing that God has done for you. You look back over and go, that was a God thing. Think about it. And then here's what I want us to do, just real quick. If it's something that's not you know, private or personal to you, that you don't mind giving glory to God for this morning, I don't try to burden you or put pressure on you, um, you can drop it in the chat or you can shout it, shout it out loud. What, what's that one good thing for you in your life? Anybody? Family? Say what? Your husband. Oh, put it on you this morning, Joe, so you have to get with it. All right? Anybody else? Protection. 
Anybody else? Patience. Unto salvation, yes. Forbearing us. I've got one that's not so spiritual. It's funny what things like stand out in your mind when you think about the goodness of God. When uh, Mandy and I were engaged and, and uh, getting ready to be married, uh, my my groomsman, you know, I've got Andrew Levander. He was in it. He's a tall, skinny guy. I'm short, stubby. We had another buddy of mine that was just a monster of a man. And, uh, of course, we're trying to find outfits that all work and flow together, you know. And at the same time, we're a bunch of broke college students going into ministry. <laughs> so, you know how that works. And uh, I never will forget one time, like, this sounds so silly, it sounds so stupid, but I saw it as a gift from God. I had went into like a local, it may have been like a Belk or JCPenney, I don't know, somewhere in the mall. And I walked in, just looking, just looking, like maybe on the off chance I might find a suit, the same suit that ranges from me all the way up to this guy we call Death and Ball. That, that name alone should tell you how big he was. And sure enough, I mean, now his pants were kind of tight, but they had the whole range of suits right there. And I'm not lying to you. I remember walking out of the mall that day going, thank you, God. Like, that sounds silly. But I saw it as his, like, this sounds weird, as a part of his gift in our wedding. It sounds funny, but it's the truth. I still look back on that and think about it that way. Now, here's why I want you to think about that one good thing. And I'm going to get to it, but just keep it in your mind. In the physical realm, okay, let me remind you of what the Bible tells us that God is constantly doing for you. Are you ready? And I'm going to to list these fast, so if you need this later, just text me, email me, and I'll give it to you. In the physical realm, God, in Matthew 5, 44, causes his son to rise on evil people and good people. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Matthew 5, 45. He gives you uh, rains from heaven and for fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's Acts 14, 16 through 17. To name a few, God gives physical blessings that allow us to maintain life and even enjoy it more richly. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 6.13 and Colossians 3.17. Even the, the, what we would consider, consider mundane maintenance of our lives, that is actually God showering down good gifts to us every single day. Um, my Scotland, she is in preschool learning all these songs, and one of the songs she's learning is a prayer she sings at the table uh, before the food, before we eat. And, uh, oh, the Lord is good to me, and so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun and the rain and the apple seed. Oh, the Lord is good to me. And at first I thought it was cute. And the more she's done it, the more I've meditated on it. And it's actually really theologically rich. Because the idea is this. You think about it. What I, what I like to do at times, I'll sing this to myself, is I'll replace apple seed with just anything. God, I thank you for the pig seed and I pray for my bacon. Do you see what I'm saying? I think about all of it. That God has seeded into this earth everything that we need to live and to enjoy him. Oh, he is good to us. 
This next part, in the intellectual realm, God allows people to know him, although they did not honor or thank him. This is Romans one twenty one. You have knowledge, you have access to God. Paul stood in the Oropagus in Athens and declared to the pagans there, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, Acts 17.23. From directions to a nearby hotel to advanced medical technologies, God has richly blessed humanity with an amazing intellect. It's true. Think about some of the creature comforts we experience because of the technology that's here today. That wisdom has come from above. He is constantly showering humanity with knowledge. In the moral realm, this is one that I'm most grateful for if you understand how the Bible paints human sin. In the moral realm, God restrains people from going completely into entire sinfulness. If God lifted his grace and his patient forbearance on us, I have told you before, I believe the Bible paints the picture that we would tear each other apart, limb from limb. And the fact that there's any kind of order, family order, civil order, societal or communal order, is a gift from God. Paul remarks how Gentiles without the law, think about this, non-covenant family members, right? A part of the family of God who don't have the express written law of the Ten Commandments naturally do the things that the law require. God wrote it on their hearts, it talks about. They are our law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bears witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. Let's thank God that morality in some sense, is written on every human heart. He is constantly showering down good gifts. That's Romans 2, 14 through 15. Sinners, this is actually a good thing too. It's self-centered, but nevertheless, sinners know how to help sinners. Talks about this in Luke 6, 33. Uh, Jesus tells Christians, hey, what credit is it to you to love people who are just like you? He says, what? Even sinners do that. So in some way, even in our self-centeredness, sinners will at least protect one another. Isn't that interesting? Okay? But that's a good gift from God. Honesty in business, working hard, honoring parents or children, remaining faithful in marriage, doing good things to others, have built-in rewards and satisfy more than their opposites do. And I think that's when we talk about philosophy and wisdom that's in the world. We see how the world works and that there's consequences for sin and we reap what we sow. But thank God that he gives us the opportunity to actually do some good. All right? In the, in the creative realm, God has gifted people musically, artistically, athletically, oratorically, poetically, forensically, mechanically. Thank God for you. He's done all that. In the social realm, God has provided fundamental recognition of good societies, institutions, governments, business, and the like. Marriage is a model for all monogamous relationships. Human government provides justice and mercy to its citizens in need. Charitable and humane society works toward the common good. This is Romans 13.1. That God, in fact, in Romans 13, is basically saying that the government serves as his personal deacon for justice. Is it a perfect servant? No, but he's there. 
He does not want an unjust society and church. We deserve one. We deserve one. In the religious realm, God's common grace comes through prayers of believers, answering prayers of unbelievers, and the ministry of the church that extends to the lost. He is constantly showering good gifts. And here's what I want you to realize. All right? If God is good one time, if you can look at this one thing and say, that's a good thing from God. What I need you to understand, and this is actually very rich theologically, if God is good one time, he must be good all the time. Now that's hard because you go, I don't think there's times when God is good. I'll explain why you think that. But if he can be good to you just one time, because of what we're about to read, he's actually good to you all the time, and you just don't know it. Here's the reasons. Number one, this is the, the theologically robust way to think about it. It's number one, it's because of his immutability. That's the, the, the $5 theological word. James gives us the theology of immutability to tell us why God must be good all the time. James calls God the father of lights. I never forget the first time I read that. I did not understand what that meant. I was like, is he just shiny? <laughs> That's what I kind of thought. And the father of lights means, it's talking about his providential care and his creative power and actually producing the lights. Not these lights, the, the ones in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. He's the one who's responsible for them. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. In antiquity, in biblical times, in ancient days, think about what the stars and the sun and the moon meant to our ancestors. It was generally the anchors by which they oriented themselves on the planet and in time, right? By the phases of the moon, the sun, quote, you know, setting back and forth, <laughs> going to and fro as they thought of it. And even the constellations, what do they do? They technically, what, move through the night sky. Now, we understand why that's the case now. But the idea is this. These things are anchors for humanity to look at, and they help orient them in time and space. And who is responsible for putting them there? God. It was his, out of his providential care and creative power for our order to orient our life around it. Now, here's the difference. What, what James wants to do is he wants to ratchet it up. So we think, okay, if God created the lights, then he must have that same type of character, right? You can bake on him. If the sun sets, it'll come up tomorrow. The moon has its phases, but it eventually starts over, Right? The, the stars move through the heavens, but eventually you get around and they'll reset. So there's this consistency of character. And then James goes and nuances it. He goes, oh, but the father of lights, notice what he says, does not change like shifting shadows, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now here's the point. So technically, even when the... Uh, celestial bodies are probably some of the surest anchors in reality to orienting us on the planet and in time. Do they change? Yeah. 
since I've been here. The sun has been eclipsed. Right? Every now and then the moon, quote, goes out. It's not there. On a cloudy night, or if you're in the city, what happens? You can't see the stars. And here's what, this is so amazing. When I under, finally understood, like unlocked this verse in period, I was like, oh, this is good. He's saying, oh, but God's not like even that. So the, the most sure things in your life, he's more sure than that. God, like God is never, church, this is going to be good to you. Some of you go, I believe I felt what it was like for good, the goodness of God to be eclipsed. And James would go, no, it's not. His goodness has never been eclipsed. It's never went out. There's been no variation, no change whatsoever. And we call this the doctrine of immutability. Now, what does that mean? God is immutable. Write that down. He is immutable. He does not change his essential character. His essential character. First of all, and the reason I want to say this in case you're into philosophy, I do believe God, quote, changes in the sense that God became man. Everybody understand what I mean by that? The difference between essential properties and what we call accidental properties, if you'll let me just wax for just a second, think of it like this. My hair and the fat on my body are accidental properties according to philosophy. Amen, ain't that good? Which means this that my hair can change, all right? It can go from brown to like salt and pepper to gray and might turn loose, but it has not changed the essence of who I am. Everybody got me? I can be skinny as a rail or I can be what I am now. (laughs) And it's, quote, an accidental property. They may affect me, right? But it doesn't change who I am, all right? My ego the, the, the substance, the essence of who I am, is the same from conception all the way through eternity. But there are, quote, accidental properties about me. So here's what we're trying to say. When we talk about God's immutability, some of the, quote, accidental properties change in the sense of God took on human nature. And, but what we constantly say, though, is by adding human nature to him, he is not losing any essence of the Godhead. See how that works? He is fully divine. And so that's why you can make statements like this. This is why they've got this in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you think about it from a logical point of view, you're like, he was a baby one time, wasn't he? Right? Didn't he grow up? Wasn't he crucified, buried, rose again, appeared? Sounds like a lot of changes. What is the doctrine saying? The essence, who he is, has never changed. So not just from his birth, but pre-incarnate, before the world began, Jesus Christ was. He was that. That's his character. And hey, in a trillion years from now, he'll be the exact same. There's no shadow in him. There's no variation. That is who he is. That's what it means when we talk about being immutable. And when you're dealing with a perfect being, when God is perfect, Think about this, church. This is so good. If a, if a being is completely perfect, can you take anything away from him? No. But even better, can you add anything to a perfect being? 
No. So if we're saying that God is perfect and good one time, do you catch the theology here? What must he be? Perfect and good all the time. All the time. That's the doctrine of immutability. So where do the bad things come from? Because we're not saying, so we live in a delusion, right? Where this just isn't really happening. My life really isn't like this. God is too good for this to happen. How is that we live in existence where there's this mixture of good and bad? When the scriptures are promising, God is constantly raining good things down on you. And then you look at your life and go, I really don't feel that. And that's a fair assessment. I mean, why do you think James is having to tell the people this? Because they feel this way. God must be tempting me. God must be putting me through this. How else can it be done? And here's a couple of things that I've thought about. We have to accept the other biblical fact that all corruption comes from sin. All right? All corruption, all deprivation of goodness comes from some kind of rebellion against God. Now, the question when I say some kind is there are degrees, okay, or variations of rebellion and sin and trespasses and transgressions against God. So let me help you think through it. Number one is this. One is the devil's treachery. And just think about it real quick. Go back to the life of Job. Who did all the stuff to Job? Satan. It's very clear. Satan is the agent of chaos in Job's life. Now, I understand God's sovereignty. Did God permit Satan to do that? Yes, he did. But it's the same thing as I mentioned last week in the last sermon. I believe uh, uh, God looks over Job and it's like the car he built. Test it. It runs good. Right? Okay? But the actual agent of chaos was Satan himself. In fact, God actually put stipulations. He can't take his life, right? So he's on a leash. But I want you to understand, the motivation for destruction there isn't in God. You see that? It's in your demonic enemy. That's one, that's one place from where bad things can come. The second one is this. The actual fall, what we, this is a technical theological term, the fall of humanity. That's usually in theology, you'll see it with a capital F, fall. And when we say fall, it has to do with Adam and Eve's first sin. And if you remember, one of the consequences of sin, willful disobedience against God's word in the garden, is God came down, he pronounced the gospel, that was the one great blessing, but he also pronounced a curse. He cursed everything. Okay, and this is something that we fail to realize is that while there's times, have you ever noticed it, and this goes back to Romans chapter 1, where you'll sit there like and see that snowfall, and you'll think about the pure beauty of God, right? And yet that same, like, and I'm not trying to make light of this, that same beautiful snow caused like car wrecks last night. You see that? Same element in one setting, revealing the goodness of God, And in another setting, revealing the wrath of God. Right? Death. Injury. Harm. You say, now how does that coexist? Because of the curse that is on this world. 
We live in a, we, this is what we say, we live in a fallen world. The world is broken. At times, it does what it's supposed to do and just gives glory to the Creator. But do you not realize under the redemption that's in Jesus in Romans chapter 8, it says even the creation groans for redemption? It's waiting for the new heavens and new earth. Just like your body goes, man, I cannot wait to shed this thing and put on that resurrection body. The earth and the heavens, the universe is going, when do we get our reset? When do you make all things new here? And he does, he will. But you are, you are living, we're living in an existence that, that this was not what it was intended to be. I just want you to know that. The other part is this. Some of what happens to us is the consequence of our own personal sin. And I need you to catch the difference, okay? There are things that you do, and I do, that has a direct correlation to a bad consequence in my life. I walked across this boundary, and I am paying for it. But the other part that I want you to see is some of what happens to us is not due directly to your own personal sin, but someone else's transgression. And that's hard to live with when you know, and and not in a bad way, not like you're holier than thou, but this is the part that Job even is talking about. What have I done? What have I done to incur this? And in that instance, it was a demonic uh, enemy. But the point is this, somebody can do something, I really think of this, halfway across the world in their sin and affect all of us. This is why you cannot read the Bible in just this personal, individualistic uh, sense. It has a communal aspect, a societal aspect, this governmental aspect even, that what we do collectively can harm and hurt one another. We are in one sense one big family, okay? And then if certain circumstances come directly from God, I do believe this, one day we will understand that they're for his glory, others' faith and our joy. And this is the hard part. These are ones, do I think God allows bad things to happen to, quote, good people? And what I would tell you, first of all, there is none good, no, not one. The question really is, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? That's the biblical concept. The fact that he would continually shower down good things on sinners is a conundrum. That's where we have to look at the perfect grace of God going, he's just that good. But what I'm saying is this, if we're saying, God, I I really believe, my conscience is clear, I'm walking according to your word, and yet this is happening to me. It quite well could be a test in which he is under pressure, creating faith, sustaining faith, letting others see your faith in him. And those are the things what I'm trying to let you know. I, I do not know God's moral rationale for all of those, th- those instances in your life. But I trust in his word that one day you will look back and go, yep, you'll agree with him. Right? Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for overruling and doing what you did. So we have to trust that. But I, I want you to say, and I'm not here because, God, guys, I, I, want to t- I want to tell you, I want to believe that God is good to me all the time. I want to believe that. At the same time, I'll tell you, have there been times in my life where I have doubted the goodness of God? Absolutely. 
That's why I am rehearsing these things with you. Let them transform your mind. What is the ultimate reason? So we have the one reason is if God is good to you one time, he has to be good to you all the time because of the immutability of his character. But, but James goes one step further. And honestly, it's, this one's so hard. I enjoyed that, first, that verse I just explained to you, but he could have. I mean, the scripture is sufficient. If he left that last verse out, this verse alone is sufficient enough. Look at this last verse real quick. I'm going to scroll back up here to my part and read it again. Verse 18, by his own choice. Let's just let that settle in for a second. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now let me explain this. Write this down, number two. Because of his initiative. Because of his initiative. So you have the immutability of God that explains how God is good all the time. And then you have his own divine initiative. What does that mean by his own choice? Here's what you got to get. (laughs) This is what the Bible paints over and over again. God acted freely and without any constraint in the creation of the universe and in the redemption of mankind. This is so hard because we deceive ourselves with our value. We look at ourselves and go, how could God not create and save a person like me? And what you need to know is once we've rebelled against God and we're hostile in our minds and hearts, we are, I mean, abhorrent, okay, to God. We are sinners. And so the question becomes, again, like I said, how can God be just and justify, make right sinners who don't deserve to be right? Right? You see that? He is under no compulsion. He, he looks over humanity and there's nothing there lovely that goes, you know what? Mm, I got to have them. That's not who God is. He is free. If we dissipated today, God would go on happy. That's who he is. Most ever blessed. So you say, so why is he always in our business? <laughs> That's the question. And I mean, in a good way, because people always talk about being prideful. Wow, we, we really must have a really high view of ourselves for this God to always be worried about what we do. You understand this? This is by his own personal choice. This is the good pleasure of God. That's what you hear. He desired to create you. He desired it. He wanted it. He was under no necessity. He didn't have to. He wasn't lonely. The Trinity, the triune relationships alone are infinite enough to go through eternity. Okay? He simply, and it's so hard for accept this, he wanted to create you. That's so hard sometimes. Like, really? Yeah, I just wanted to. And then even more importantly is he wanted to save you. After you rebelled, he goes, but I want them back. I want to redeem them. And here's the part that's so humbling is, church, I need you to understand it. He could have went, I'm not redeeming them. And it would have been under no moral obligation to. None. This is his 
goodness to us. I wrote, I left these in your notes. Why does a person become a Christian? And I love some of these more robust systematic theologies. This is from the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. It's actually where you get uh, our church covenant. But this is their like statement of faith, the Baptist faith, the message of 1833. And it talks about the grace of regeneration, the gift of God saving us. Listen to what he says. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again. That regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind that is affected in a manner above our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel and that its proper evidence appears in holy fruits of repentance and faith and newness of life. Let me just give you Joshua's living translation of what that means. Without the Holy Spirit coming, convicting you of sin and calling you, regenerating you to new life, you would never do it on your own. Never. That's even what's so more amazing about the goodness of God is that even if he just, if he went out and just called us to repentance, if you'll repent, I'll forgive you. And we would go, no. That's how rebellious we are. That he actually comes as a gift of regeneration and goes, come on. That's the work in us. He gives us what the, what the, the author there says, this holy disposition where we're actually open to the things of God. This is the things that we talk about. This is how we talk about it. It was like I was sitting there in church one day and all of a sudden just went. <laughs> That's the grace of regeneration. And we just don't know how to explain it. That's what he says. It's above comprehension. I've heard the message a thousand times and all of a sudden like the light came on. It's the grace of God. Another systematic theology says even if truth could be energized, intensified, illuminated, there would still be needed change to the moral disposition before the soul could recognize its beauty and be affected by it. No mere increase of light, this is so beautiful, can enable a blind man to see. See, that's what's happening at salvation. It's not like God's dropping the light on. It may not be this. It may not be, oh, the light came on. It's like... My eyes started working. <laughs> you see how that works? The light's always been there. The truth of the gospel is always there. We were blind because of our sin and could never see it. And it's staring us right there in the face. And God, look at it. Wow. <laughs> wow, look at the beauty of it. Before regeneration, man's knowledge of God is the blind man's knowledge of color. <laughs> That's who we thought. If God does not grant you this, you and I would never repent of our sins. Notice the means by which he does this, and I'll finish up. He does this by the message or the word of truth. What is the message or the word of truth? Real simple. It's the gospel. Church, if we want to see people saved, right? What we're saying is this. God, by his own choice, wants to save sinners. He, he turns on the light in the preaching of the gospel. So all I want you to know, some people, go, well, why don't we see people say, you've got to preach the gospel. Okay? That's the means by which the Spirit of God goes and flicks the light on. And the gospel is simple, right? This is what the amazing thing, Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins, and God raised Him from the dead to forgive us. It's that simple. And he's calling us everywhere, everyone everywhere, to repent, acknowledge we're sinners, 
and trust Jesus as Savior in God. And I pray that one day, okay, God in His infinite grace will turn that light on for you. And it'll click. And you'll receive Him. And notice what the result was so that we might be a first fruits, a kind of first fruits. This is an agricultural term. It was the earliest and best part of the crops of a harvest. And there's one of two ways in which you can understand this verse. One is that he's talking about we, his current generation, are the first fruits, the first harvest of all that God will harvest from the world and say. But I actually think in the, in the light of, of what we call eschatological theology, what happens in the end times, the first fruits is saying this, God has so much more saving to do. He's going to save the universe. He's going to create and make all things new. He's going to resurrect your bodies, all this. And so here's the whole point is that Holy Spirit regeneration that happens in your heart is just the beginning. It's the first fruits, the kind of first fruits of the creation of all creatures. We get to taste it now on this side of heaven. That's what he's saying. And what an ultimate privilege that is. Here's what I want you to think about, church. If God's been good to you one time, then he's must been, he must have been good to you all the time because of his immutability. But let's just scrap everything else. Let's just say for one second, he did evil to you all the time. But yet, by his own choice, saved you from hell and the wrath to come, he'd still be a good God. He'd still be a good God. And so when you take the two together, the immutability of God and the initiative of God, you realize, what am I complaining about? That if there is a corruption in the world that I don't like, it has not come from him. And it should make us, here's the thing, what I find, God does want us to be angry about the corruption in the world. But here's the deceitfulness of sin. This will help you. The deceitfulness of sin goes, it's God's fault. And so we get angry at God. When the Bible tells us, the word of God goes, be angry at sin. Hate your sin. Hate sin in the world. Put it to death. Mortify it. Kill it. And that's, the, that's ultimately what we have to decide in our hearts. Who's responsible for it? And I don't mean even your own personal sin. I'm just talking about this moral pollution that we, we have allowed into the world through our disobedience to God. And we go, we, we ought to hate it. Not people. I'm talking about sin itself. Sin itself. Here's the big idea and put it down. It's just simply this. It sounds so hard. It goes back to verse 6. I'm at verse 16. Don't question God's goodness. Now, I don't mean that as in don't question God's goodness or else. That's not what I mean. I'm saying is actually put your questions to rest. You don't have to go on questioning the goodness of God. All right? Put those doubts to rest. Don't question. He's good, and he's good to you. I love this warning. He goes, this is the first time in the book of James, he goes, beloved or dear brothers and sisters. He understands. Because notice what it says, don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. I want you to think about in the context of what we talked about last week, who was misleading us? Ourselves. 
Remember last week talked about self-deception. So he's drawing you in. He goes, dear beloved ones, love, I love you guys. Come here. I know you think all this stuff is coming from God, but you're deceiving yourself. That's not what this is. Don't be deceived any longer. Don't question God's character as being generous. Turn to God in dependence on Him. Respond in a way you know that will please Him in keeping with His revealed Word. Take just a moment and try to consider all the goodness of God. (laughs) That's why it's just easier to focus on one thing and extrapolate from there. Because if you really begin to try to count your blessings... It's impossible. It really is impossible. We would all have to say that God has been good to us in our lives, that he has blessed us beyond measure, what we deserve. And I pray, like my my sincere desire today is that we can simply be mindful of his goodness and be careful to praise him and give him thanks for what he rightly deserves. He rightly deserves to be thanked and worshipped for these good gifts. And let's be careful because it's so, it's so easy what, to go about like, well, that's just life. No, it's not. Maybe I'm just lucky. No, it's not. It's the favor of God. It's his goodwill and pleasure. He decided that. And even if you have never trusted Jesus, okay, If you enjoyed all the abundance of God's goodness and missed out on Jesus, you missed it all. You missed it all. Because Jesus, he can spare your life both now and forever. And it saddens saddens me to know that we live in a world, especially here in America, that are rich, prosperous, and abundant, and yet they are impoverished spiritually. They don't know Jesus. Only those who know Christ as their personal Savior and have experienced the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit who've been saved, those are really the only people who can look and go, God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. brief things this morning. One, I want to continue to always call you to respond to the gospel and to repentance. If you've never repented of your sins and received Christ as your Savior and that down payment of the Holy Spirit who comes into your life and turns the light on, opens blind eyes, and you can behold the beauty of our Savior and He is a great Savior. If you've never done that, Lord willing, I ask now that you would confess your sin to King Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. He's the Son of God. He can hear our faults and whispers. And that you would confess you're a sinner and receive his grace and forgiveness by faith in his work on the cross, dying for our sins. If you want to pray and repeat this prayer after me, there's nothing magical about this prayer. But if it's your desire to repent of sin and trust Christ as Savior, would you pray this quietly in your heart to Jesus? Say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner and I deserve judgment. But I believe you are good, that you love me. You came down for me. You shed your blood 
and died on the cross to forgive me of all my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Come into my life and change me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you that, that Jesus, his instructions that he's left for us in the word of God is that every person who is his disciple would be baptized. Baptism is the way in which we show the church and the world that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins. And then when we come up out of the water, we're saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you, fill out the tear-off panel, text BELIEVE to our text and church number, or go to our website, find the baptism tab, and fill out the form. Give me a chance just to talk to you about that next right step. The last thing that I want us to do, Stacey, you can begin to uh, play. I just have a, a brief little prayer I found in a study Bible that I thought kind of succinctly wrapped up uh, the heart of today. And I would encourage you, uh, all the saints, to pray it in this time of uh, meditation and reflection. It says, O oh Lord, deliver me from my struggles and grant me the gifts that come from you alone. Thank you for your son Jesus, who has given me new life. Lead me in your wisdom until I am raised to receive the crown of life in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. Lord, we confess that we've been quick uh, in our hearts to maybe point our finger or raise our fist at you or complain um, about the evils that befall us. And Lord, we, we just frankly don't see the whole picture, what's going on in in. in spiritual reality, dear God. And then at the same time, we don't know how our personal sin and the sins of others have affected each of our lives. Um, but we can trust, based on your word, that you are constantly being good to us. Help us to be careful, God, to praise you and thank you. And Lord, even if we were to forget everything, the food that we're going to eat here in a little bit, that 
warm house that we're going to go to, if we were to forget all of that and all we could remember is Jesus' outstretched arms on the cross <clears throat> and blood pouring from his brow, it, would be, it should be enough for us to serve you with love, perseverance, and gratefulness. We thank you. I thank you for every person here. I thank you for every person watching online. Bless them today. Assure them of their forgiveness. And Lord, assure them of your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people say, amen. All right, got just a couple of brief uh, announcements. Please make sure to RSVP for church next week. You can RSVP by filling out the tear-off panel on the, on the back of the bulletin. Uh, check the appropriate boxes. Put them in the drop box. We, uh, um, the new platform that they're using actually makes it extremely easy for us to uh, manually uh, upload them. So it is no uh, issue at all if you want to do it that way. Uh, you can also text RSVP to our text and church number or go to our website and click on the reserve button and it'll bring you to, you know what, I just never thought about it. I don't know if I changed that URL link. It's so amazing what things click you. Uh, if, if you go to that and it doesn't send you to the new uh, URL link, I'll make sure to update the, the, uh, that this week and I'll email you uh, the link with the amendment to the bylaws so that you can see it, read over it, pray over it. Uh, and then if you have any questions, you can direct them to myself. Um, uh, the deacons, and then even specifically uh, Randy Barrett, uh, even Brother Rick Williams. I know he helped uh, draft that as well. Um, and then I think, oh, deacons. If you're an inactive deacon and you're willing to uh, serve on the rotation, uh, just contact me and let me know. It would be greatly appreciated. Brother Rick, will you come lead us in one last song, please? I say praise the Lord for the gospel. Yes. Because one thing, when the gospel is given, God's word says it will never come back void. Right. So this has been sent out, and it will accomplish its purpose. And I love that promise from God. So uh, let's stand together. I'm, we're so joyful, those that know him, and we invite everyone to know him. But it creates, the gospel creates this joy in you that regardless of circumstances, we know who our Redeemer is. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.